Welcome to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. Along with Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Rick, the war still continues. We're going to get to that today with David Dolan. David will be going first today. Usually that's reserved for Ken Timmerman and world politics, geopolitics. But today, David Dolan will start off with our information pertaining to Israel. Ken Timmerman, Sharam Hadian, born in Iran, will be on the program today talking about what makes Muslims do what they do, how the despicable, evil, uh, treachery, horrors that took place, uh, not only in Israel, but around the world. And then on the program Minnow Kalashir, pastor in Jerusalem, plus Dr. Jimmy DeYoung, the Legacy Series, talking about where is the United States in Bible prophecy, and he recorded this before he passed away, but it seems as if he's reading from the headlines today, and then we'll wrap up the program with Dr. Richard Schmidt talking to us from a pastor's point of view, a prophecy teacher, and a law enforcement official, what to expect in the future here in America. Well, Rick, let's get started with David Dolan. Well, that's right, Jimmy. We do have Dave Dolan with us today. He is a man who's been with us all week, keeping us updated on what is taking place in Israel. David, it has been one week now since the terrible events of last Saturday. If you could, could you update us on where things stand in Israel right now? Well, the bottom line is the war continues to escalate, Rick. We have had action now again for the second day on Friday in the north of Israel. While the IDF prepares to launch a large ground invasion into the Gaza Strip, the IDF dropped leaflets on Friday warning the residents of the northern Gaza Strip to flee south. That's over a million people. Many are doing that, they say. Meanwhile, Matula in the north, the Israeli city, was ordered evacuated. Friday evening after uh, somebody blew up the border fence nearby. We don't know if it was Hezbollah guerrillas or if it was Palestinians operating in Lebanon. We're not sure. But that was followed with exchanges of fire. A Lebanese army position said it came under fire and returned fire. Hezbollah then fired a rocket into Israel near a kibbutz above Kiryat Shmona, where I used to live. And Israel replied with fire at Hezbollah positions. So that that front is heating up with concerns that Iran will give a go-ahead for a full uh, Hezbollah onslaught as soon as the death toll in Gaza of Gaza people dying in the Israeli action increases and becomes the main focus of media attention in the world. So already the Palestinians say over 1,300 people have been killed. We can't, of course, verify that. We know that over 1,300 Israelis were, for the most part, slaughtered last Saturday in the most horrific ways. Headless babies and some of those pictures were shown during the week to visiting Secretary of State Blinken and visiting Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin by Prime Minister Netanyahu himself. Both men expressed strong support for Israel. This came as the U.S. aircraft uh, Gerald R. Ford a group arrived off the coast of Israel with hundreds of uh, uh, very advanced aircraft, etc., strengthening the U.S. military position in the area in support of Israel. Well, David, that's a general update of what is taking place in Israel. And I'd like to use the time we have with you, not just to only get updated on what's taking place, but maybe you could help us understand how some of this happened. And one thing that comes to mind to me is the fact that you said it in recent weeks that whenever there is a big push, especially from the United States for peace, which there was with these normalization talks with Saudi Arabia, that is when things happen. And usually Israel is to pay the price. 
Well, exactly, because, you know, Hamas's charter, uh, the Islamic resistance movement, its charter states quite clearly, and they repeat it every day, our aim is to destroy Israel, not to make peace with it, not just to get back the West Bank and Gaza, but to destroy Israel, to get back Tel Aviv and Jerusalem fully, to set up a Palestinian state in place of Israel. So they hate all these attempts to make peace. And yes, I uh, stated several times on your program over the past few months that the ground is nowhere ready for such a thing, precisely because Hamas has a mini state, right? close to Tel Aviv and Ashkelon and Ashdod and all those places, by the way, came under renewed rocket fire on Friday evening and all week. The whole country, Jerusalem area, has had rockets. Hamas said on Friday it had fired a long-range missile at Haifa. Now, that's about 100 miles to the north of the Gaza Strip. The Israelis got rid of it, not with their Iron Dome, but with their David's Sling system, which is a more sophisticated system aimed at incoming ballistic long-range missiles, and they destroyed that. But the Saudis announced on Friday, the Saudi crown prince announced that the deal was frozen. Talks were frozen now between the U.S. and itself over normalization with Israel. And right after that, he phoned uh, President Raisi of Iran for the first conversation that the two leaders have had in quite some time. So that uh, deal is off and this war is on and uh, Hezbollah probably will get involved in Syria. There's been fire from Syria during the week at the Golan Heights, uh, all sorts of things. I mean, I could spend an hour just detailing what happened, but uh, you get the picture. There's a, a war, it's growing, and the trigger was this. It was unwise for the Biden administration to push that at this time. Hamas and Iran behind it were bound to react, and the White House being reluctant to blame Iran for all of this ultimately is, of course, absurd. We've been discussing it for years, the aid that Iran gives to Hamas. They fly the, these men over to Iran and train them in the desert in Iran had to do these uh, aircraft glider attacks and these other things that they did. So, um, And they obviously knew that a slaughter would follow, and they didn't stop it. And their claim that they knew nothing about it, well, maybe not the precise details, but they certainly set the stage. David, world opinion is generally behind Israel, with several notable exceptions. But in general, people are with Israel right now. But as they go into Gaza and there is a civilian population and these terrorists are actually hiding behind civilians. But as the scenes come out of Gaza, that's going to move world opinion. This could encourage these other actors, especially Hezbollah in the north and the Palestinian factions in the West Bank. This could encourage them to attack, couldn't it? Well, that's exactly right, Rick, and that's the reason that Hamas spokesman on Friday told the people of Gaza City not to evacuate, to stay in place, not to listen to, to these Israeli warnings uh, that are being broadcast, as well as uh, on these leaflets, dropping millions of leaflets all over the place, it seems, warning the people that an operation is coming. They want civilian casualties. They want the press to record that. And on Friday, we had President Putin of Russia condemn Israel for ordering the people to uh, flee to the south, saying these are innocent civilians not involved in war, that Israel needs to abide by the laws 
of war, the international laws of war. He also condemned Israeli airstrikes in Damascus and Aleppo in Syria uh, on Thursday and Friday at the airports there. That's after news came that new Iranian arms shipments were being flown to both airports. Uh, he did all this as if uh, he's not slaughtering thousands of people in Ukraine. I mean, he's, his forces are deliberately hitting apartment buildings, not accidentally. Israel, like you said, has no choice. These fighters hide inside of the towns, inside of the hospitals, underneath the mosques, these sorts of things, as they did in the 1982 Lebanon war that I was in the middle of, and I witnessed this myself. So, yes, they want the TV reports to shift, in particular the pictures to shift to dead Palestinians, and people will gradually forget the slaughter that took place. But we mustn't do that. This was the greatest mass slaughter since World War II. There's no question about it. And, uh, you know, over a thousand people, old people, young people, babies beheaded, etc. We cannot forget the motive that Israel's doing this. And again, it's not the first Hamas attack. This is about the fifth time we've had barrages of rockets over several days, sustained rocket attacks since they took over the Gaza Strip in 2007. And frankly, Israel should have gone in long before now and cleaned Hamas out. But to do that, it's a major war. There will be thousands of people dead on both sides because uh, these rocket barrages uh, mean that the Iron Dome can only take some of them out at a time. It can't take them all out. So if and when Hezbollah starts pouring rockets across the northern border in great numbers and stronger rockets, farther reaching rockets for the most part, uh, we're going to see the Israeli death toll shoot straight up, I'm afraid. Well, David, we've only got about a minute left, but before you go, we talk to you because you not only have been a journalist in Israel for 30 years and you have a lot of experience, but you're also an author and a Bible and prophecy teacher. David, as Christians, what should we do now? First of all, what should we do to help Israel? But secondly, what does this mean concerning Bible prophecy and what's taking place in Israel and where we are on God's timeline? Well, we know, Rick, from previous wars that they usually, major wars, they usually do have prophetic implications. Of, of course, 1948, when Israel was born out of warfare, six Arab countries attacking. 1967 in particular, when they captured East Jerusalem and the Temple Mount, reunited Jerusalem. I'm uh, presuming we're going to see some major prophetic developments out of this current conflict and that this will be a major conflict and uh, what those will be, I can only guess. Some are looking at the prophecy in Isaiah 17 that uh, talks about the destruction of the city of Damascus, that maybe that would occur at this time. Psalm 83 talks about a coalition of Arab countries that come against Israel. That may uh, occur. And uh, some are saying uh, Gog and Magog. I think that's a little later. I don't think that's uh, being set right now. But uh, major prophetic implications. And, of course, the best thing we can do is pray. Pray for those uh, leaders of Israel. The five-man war cabinet in particular needs a lot of prayer. The generals, the leaders, and, of course, the individual soldiers and the civilians and civilians on both sides that don't want this are caught up in it and, of course, need the Lord like never before. And uh, we can pray. And a silver lining is we do have political unity now in Israel for the first time in several years. So that's good. But we still have, you know, a lot of frightened people and, and real need to hold them up at this time. 
Well, David, as always, we appreciate your insight into the events, and we appreciate you coming back and being with us every day on our Prophecy Today daily program as we look at this situation, and you've been updating us, and we appreciate that. David, thank you so much for what you do, and we look forward to talking to you again soon. Sorry it's so bleak, but I'm blessed to be able to do it. God bless. Let's take a break. When we come back, Ken Timmerman, right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Chris Kramer with Mission Network News. World leaders eye rapidly rising tensions between Israel and its neighbors. In Syria, Israeli airstrikes put two major airports out of service a day before Iran's foreign minister was scheduled to visit. Israel also moved troops to its border with Lebanon amid escalating attacks from Hezbollah. Nuna, with Triumph for Mercy Lebanon, says a wave of displaced people is flooding into northern towns. Pray for wisdom as believers meet their needs in the name of Jesus. Meanwhile, a new leader takes the helm at a spiritual freedom ministry based in the U.S. After 37 years at Gordon Food Service, Steve Vandermolen is now the director of Set Free USA. As he transitioned into retirement, Steve began volunteering with Set Free. It didn't take long for the leaders to recognize their new volunteers' potential, and they asked him to join full-time. Steve's overseeing a brand-new initiative and volunteer recruitment. Learn how you can help people find freedom in Jesus at missionnews.org. Mission Network News is service of One Way Ministries. I'm Ruth Kramer. Just how close are we to the rapture of the church? Do events taking place in the Middle East and around the world have prophetic significance? In his latest book, Sound the Trumpets, Jimmy DeYoung examines these questions and explains just how near the rapture of the church could possibly be. By comparing four trends from prophetic scripture to current events taking place in the world today, Jimmy shows that the stage is set, every actor is in place, and the curtain is about to go up on the end-time scenario set forth in the scriptures. Sound the Trumpets is a must-read for every serious student of Bible prophecy. To order your copy of Jimmy DeYoung's new book, Sound the Trumpets, for only $15, call us today at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Or visit us on the World Wide Web at prophecytoday.com. Call today and make sure to get your copy of Sound the Trumpets. Welcome back to Prophecy Today Radio, the program that looks at current events in the light of Bible prophecy. Well, this is a segment of our program where we're going to continue to look at the Hamas terrorist attack on Israel, but we're going to look at it from a geopolitical perspective. And to do that, we have with us Ken Timmerman. Ken, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me on, Rick. It's uh, usually a pleasure, but this week has been the worst week in the history of Israel. Well, that is certainly true, Ken. Well, I want to look at this story from a couple of different perspectives. We'll start with Vladimir Putin. He had what I consider a confusing response. On one hand, saying that Israel had the right to defend themselves, but then on the other hand, uh, saying that they should not go into Gaza and calling for a two-state solution. Ken, can you talk a little bit about Vladimir Putin's response to this situation? Well, I think Putin is reverting to the Cold War stance where the Soviet Union supported the Palestinians and uh, tried to subvert Israel, where they provided extensive military support to the Palestinians. This week, for example, Putin had a long conversation with Turkish President Erdogan, and there's uh, a rumor going about that they are going to sponsor a flotilla of ships from Syria to carry aid 
to Gaza. This could significantly raise tensions if tensions were not already high in the region. They could uh, run afoul of the U.S. Sixth Fleet. They're certainly going to run afoul of the Israeli Navy. And uh, our listeners will recall that a number of years ago, Turkey sponsored a similar flotilla to Gaza, and it led to an armed confrontation where uh, Israeli troops were killed by so-called unarmed Palestinians who whacked at the Israelis who were not allowed to lie fire, who whacked at the Israelis with uh, six-foot-long steel bars. They were prepared for it. So I think Putin is, is reverting to type. He's going back to the USSR, and this is not good news. Certainly looks like his relationship with Iran. He has tried to court the Middle East and he wants to, again, reverting to his Cold War stance, it looks like he wants to become a major player in the Middle East again, doesn't it? Well, remember, he's been in Syria for a number of years, and uh, we've spoken about that on this program, how the Russians have battle-tested new weapon systems in Syria that they're now using in Ukraine. I think Putin is also seeing this as an advantage to his war in Ukraine. Uh, the longer the war in Gaza goes on, the longer the U.S. is tied up in funneling weapon systems to Israel to replenish their arsenal, the less the U.S. will have to send to Ukraine. So, uh, you know, Putin sees this as a win-win. While he has played a delicate balancing act uh, in the past with Israel and has had good relationship with Bibi Netanyahu on a personal level, nevertheless, I think that relationship is, going, is cooling off right now. And as I say, we're seeing his true colors reverting to form. Well, Ken, let's switch gears and look at how the rest of the world is reacting to this situation, especially to a call by Hamas for a day of jihad on Friday. Now, this day of jihad was a call to go out to all Muslims. Could you talk about this day of jihad? Well, yesterday uh, you had tens of thousands of jihad supporters in Paris. And I must say, I, I give credit to President Macron for breaking up this protest with tear gas. They're at the Bastille, a, a large square in central Paris that I know well. I lived not very far away from there for about 18 years. You know, this is where left-wing demonstrations generally start. I can remember being at the one when President Mitterrand was elected the first time in 1981. That also took place in the Bastille. But uh, the French government under Macron cracked down. They did not want to see uh, these pro-jihad demonstrators spewing filth in the streets of Paris. And one of the reasons, Rick, is because of the large Muslim population in France. The risk of igniting a larger sectarian war inside France was very real. You also saw those demonstrations in New York City on college campuses around the United States, absolutely disgraceful. And I, I must say, I was heartened to see that some law firms in the United States had identified pro-jihadi law students whom they had given uh, scholarships to or had given job offers to and now had rescinded those job offers for once. Uh, it's good to see lawyers do the right thing. Certainly is. Well, and we've talked about this before in this program, and we talked about it in the context of France, but also here in the United States, there are large immigrant Muslim populations. Is this a situation, a type of Trojan horse situation where these entities will be willing to support Hamas by uh, acts of terror on their own? Well, I think they will be waiting to get the marching orders and the marching orders will come not from Hamas. They will come from Iran. 
I think that's pretty clear. Uh, yes, we have a Trojan horse population. Mayor Adams in New York understands that very well. He called up every single police officer in all of New York's, I think, 77 precincts to active duty yesterday in their uniforms to make sure there were not uh, anti-Jewish pogroms in New York City, that there were not attacks on uh, New York synagogues. So this is something that's very real here in the United States, just as it is all across Europe. The specter of anti-Semitism has not gone away. It is still there. You know, Rick, I did a book on this almost two decades ago now called Preachers of Hate, the Muslim War Against America. And in that book, I looked at Muslim anti-Semitism, not just here in the United States, but also uh, in Europe. Uh, there were attacks on synagogues then in 2001, 2002, after the attacks on America on 9-11, and those are uh, being revived again today. We need to understand that anti-Semitism, that Jew hatred, is a key part of the jihadi ideology. It is not just an accident. When they say that they want to murder Jews wherever they are, we should believe them. And we need to take steps to prevent that from happening, at least in our countries. We certainly should. And that's why we've had you on this program all of these years, because you've helped to show us what is going to take place. And now it is right in front of us. And we are dealing with the reality of it. Well, my final question to you, Ken, as we look at this situation, uh, something that we've talked about quite a bit is the role that the United States has played in allowing this to happen. I'm not necessarily blaming the United States, but it seems like there's some policies, starting with the, our withdrawal from Afghanistan, the way we have dealt with Iran. Can you talk a little bit about how our foreign policy, especially since President Biden took office, has contributed to this situation? Under President Trump, there were significant sanctions that were a restraint on Iranian regime activity. We had reduced their oil exports dramatically. They've now gone up over 600,000 barrels a day. Just to give you some idea of what that means, that's $48 million a day in new income they have. That's $1.4 billion a month, roughly. Uh, so that's money that the Iranians did not have before. In addition to this $6 billion that was released to Qatar, where the Iranians claim they will spend it any way they want, and another $10 billion that had been frozen in Iraq, in the trade bank of Iraq, that the Iranians have gotten access to thanks to the Biden regime. I think this is these are tremendous mistakes. I was heartened to see Tony Blinken's uh, visit to Israel this week. He said all the right things. I hope he follows up with the right policies. But that would mean a significant shift for the Biden administration from policies that have been pro-Iran and lukewarm to Israel to being pro-Israel and being more forceful towards the Islamic regime in Tehran. Well, it certainly is. And just to highlight that, if we can remember, President Trump was the one who canceled that flawed Iranian deal. He was also the one that authorized the airstrike to kill Qasem Soleimani, one of the leaders, the leader of the terrorist world. There's a stark comparison between that administration and this administration, isn't there? Uh, there is. And, and by the way, I supported that attack on Qasem Soleimani. He was the world's leading terrorist. He himself personally had his fingerprints on uh, actions that uh, led to the deaths of over 600 U.S. troops in Iraq, in addition to terrorist attacks 
all around the world. I want to tell our readers a couple of other things, Rick. Just on Friday, you had the Iranian foreign minister in Beirut. Who was he meeting with? Well, of course, his Lebanese counterpart, but he was meeting with Hassan Nasrallah, the leader of Hezbollah. What was he saying to Hassan Nasrallah? I think uh, he was saying, for now, wait and see. Let's not open that second front yet, because you are our ace in the hole. You are our deterrent against Israel. Uh, the Israelis right now, I think, are looking at a potential strike on Iran, and I think they should be looking at a potential strike on Iran. They have to cut off the head of the snake. I think they have many intelligent ways of doing this, but my guess is the Iranians are now going to look for ways to crawl back into their hole. Remember on the first day or two after the attacks in Gaza, they were celebrating in the Iranian parliament. On the floor of the parliament, they were celebrating. President Raisi issued a celebratory statement uh, saying, and finally the size of an oppressed nation turned into a storm against the oppressor. That is a direct quote. Uh, I think now the Iranians are beginning to realize that they could be in Israel's gun sites, and they don't like that idea very much. Ken Timmerman. Ken, thank you for all that you do to keep our listeners informed. We look forward to talking to you again soon. Well, thanks so much, Rick. And you'll see, I've put up on my website, kentimmerman.com, my take on how the Israelis are going to go into Gaza. They're going to go in hot and hard and heavy. Great job as always, Ken. Thanks, Rick. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, Sharam Hadian, born in Iran, is going to talk to us about the thought process of the Muslims. And then today we're going to have Minnow Kalashir, pastor in Jerusalem, great friend. He's got family members called up to war to fight. We'll have him in this next half hour. We'll take a break when we come back right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible Prophecy Student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore, or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. Along with Rick, we're examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Sharam Hadian's coming up. Menno Kalos here. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung, where is the United States in Bible prophecy? As if he's reading from the headlines today. And Dr. Rich Schmidt will close out the program. Looking from a pastor's point of view, where we are and what we should be thinking in today's world. Well, I'm at a prophecy conference in Shreveport, Louisiana, Louisiana Baptist University. Dr. Greg Lyons, Dr. Mark Kahn, Truth and Prophecy Conference. And uh, it's their first one. What a great time to have a prophecy conference. Well, we did talk about what the Muslim world is doing. And I think there's only one person that we can go to, Rick, and that's Sharam Hadian. Well, Sharam Hadian joins us. He's a man who's been on the program before, a Christian pastor and former Muslim. I believe he's going to have a unique insight into what could have driven Hamas to do what they do. Sharam, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on the program again. It's always a blessing. 
Sharam, before we get started, and I, w- I certainly want to look at the so-called religion of peace being able to commit the atrocities that they did, but before we get started, if you could, just let our listeners know who are unaware a little bit about yourself, your testimony, and your ministry. As you mentioned, I'm originally from Iran. I was born into a Muslim family and fled Iran before it was overthrown in 1979. Uh, and taken over, uh, mind you, by uh, Islam. Uh, Iran is governed today by Islamic clerics and, and Islamic law, and the people of Iran have been under that uh, oppression for 44 years. So not only did I come from a Muslim background and I'm versed in Islam, but becoming a Christian 24 years ago uh, and leaving Islam, I am also um, want to be very sensitive to all of the promises of, of the Word of God and all the incredible things that God speaks to the, to the events of our day, prophecy and uh, what's happening. It's amazing to me. I look at the Word of God, and to me it explains everything if we have the right perspective. But uh, our ministry is focused on speaking the truth in love. And, of course, we minister to Muslims, but we also seek to expose the agenda of Islam and, and, and seek to expose what is happening in our world today from a biblical perspective, and I'm just grateful that uh, the gospel was preached to me 24 years ago with boldness and with faith, and it's that gospel that uh, brought me out of the darkness of Islam into the light of Christ. Well, Sharam, I want you to call on your background as we look at this. Like I said, I believe you have a unique perspective to help us understand or at least try to understand what was going on. The atrocities committed, the killing of babies, the killing of women and children by Hamas last week. This supposedly coming from what we have heard is a religion of peace, Islam, the Islamic world. They say they're a religion of peace, a religion of tolerance, a religion of reconciliation. But these events that took place last week were far from that. Can you tell us how can this happen? Well, I think that's really the big question is, is there's, a, there's a massive disconnect within the population. It, it goes back to even after 9-11 when we had our government telling us that Islam is a religion of peace ad nauseum. I mean, this has been just so ingrained in our minds. And yet that is an ignorant statement in one sense because it doesn't at all reconcile with not only what Islam teaches, but also its 1,400-year history and the example of their prophet. Uh, The word Islam never meant peace. It means surrendered one. The word Aslama in the Arabic, it means one who is surrendered. So the only peace you have with Islam is if you surrender to it. So that is the legacy of Islam. Uh, Muhammad himself, when he left Arabia and went up north, conquering Jewish communities and going into Africa and then into Europe. Islam was never peaceful or tolerant. Islam conquered and Muhammad became a warlord. So how can Muslims, those who are called Palestinians, how can they do this? Because this is what Islam does. When Islam goes and takes an area over, uh, either you have to be subjugated to it, you have to convert to Islam, or you're killed. And unbelieving women, it is permissible in the Quran Uh, And in the Hadith or the Sunnah of Muhammad, by the example of the Prophet of Islam, it is permissible to, for example, sexually assault or rape women before you kill them. It is permissible to kill children. It is permissible to behead. It is permissible to burn alive. We saw this with ISIS, right, during 2013, 2014 on. And everybody was saying, oh, no, ISIS is not Islamic. 
But that's the example. If we actually look at the text and we look at the warfare doctrine of Islam for 1400 years, that is exactly what Islam has done. And it is only today, Rick, that uh, there is this notion that Islam is this peaceable religion because of certain Muslims in the West or certain Muslims in Europe, and oh, look how nice they are. I don't evaluate Christianity by how Christians live or don't live. I evaluate Christianity by the Bible and the text, and it's the same way we need to evaluate Islam, evaluate it by the text and evaluate it by the example of their prophet. Well, let me continue on here, Sharam, and we look at the wider Islamic world and the barbaric actions, the atrocities that took place last week by Hamas. How are they being viewed in the rest of the Islamic world based on what they believe? And you kind of spoken to that already, but are they being condemned for these atrocities or celebrated? Celebrated. They're absolutely being celebrated. And not only are we seeing that in the Middle East and in Europe, we're seeing that in America. We're seeing that in our streets. All of these pro-Hamas, pro-Palestine rallies, uh, members of Congress calling Israel's actions war crimes and apartheid, and yet refusing to denounce the actions of Hamas. Uh, Let's not forget that Hamas is the Muslim Brotherhood. The Muslim Brotherhood started the Islamic Association of Palestine in 1987, which then morphed into Hamas. So the same Muslim Brotherhood that's in America, it's being celebrated. Their actions are being celebrated uh, around the Muslim world. And in fact, as you know, Hamas has called for Muslims to rise up across the world to fight in jihad, wherever they are. Uh, this was just done a couple of days ago by the one of the main leaders, founders of Hamas. So I think that we're seeing the true colors once again of what Islam is, that what Hamas or what the Islamic Jihad or uh, Hezbollah or any other of these Islamic terrorist organizations are doing are consistent with the teachings of Islam. And yes, there are individual Muslims that may say, oh, well, that's barbaric. But then if you ask them, and I've done this many times, okay, will you then denounce the fact that your prophet did the same things? Your prophet went into Kaibar. One of the things right now that is being shouted in the cities of America, we saw this in Miami just a couple of days ago. We saw this in New York where these rallies that are for pro-Palestine, pro-Hamas, they're saying, hey, Jews, remember Kaibar. Remember Kaibar. Well, what happened at Kaibar? Kaibar was the Jewish community where Muhammad comes in and beheads six to 900 Jews. So they are showing, unfortunately, their true colors. And I'm not saying this to say that we should hate Muslims. I'm saying that we should understand how evil Islam is, the doctrine and the ideology, and that should give us greater boldness to witness to Muslims, to share Christ with Muslims, to get them out of this evil, demonic, wicked, wicked religion that, as you said, is is being referred to as a religion of peace, because I I lived it. I saw it in Iran. I, I see it in Iran today. And I see it in my family, and I see what Islam does and how it corrupts the hearts and minds of people and makes them hate Jews, hate Christians, and want to kill and do, uh, I mean, horrific. You're already seeing images of the Israeli government having to prove that, yes, indeed, children were beheaded. Yes, they were burned alive. It's easy to say, oh, that's so evil and barbaric, but that's not Islam if you don't actually look at the facts and look at the history and look at what it teaches. 
you bring up a, an interesting question, and you talked about it earlier on in that answer. These actions are being supported here in America. There's been a call to action from the Islamic world, including those Muslims that do live in America. Is this something that we need to be concerned about? Of course, we had 9-11. That was something that shook us all out of our slumber as we looked at what was going on. Are we looking at maybe something like that happening again in America? Um, unfortunately, I would say yes. I wish I could say no, but unfortunately, yes, not uh, probably in the same scale. Uh, if you talk to, you know, as you know, I'm a former police officer and I have a, I've done some counterterrorism training. So I have some friends that are, you know, former intelligence, former FBI, and they, and they will tell you that if the Islamic world, if Iran, if some of these entities could procure uh, a weapon of mass destruction, let's say, that they would use it on American soil. The, the biggest issue is getting it in here. Well, when we see our porous southern border, when we see the Biden administration allowing thousands and thousands of illegal aliens, military-aged men from China, from Venezuela, which we know Iran are, are, are good, good allies with Venezuela, and we've known for years that the Mexican cartel have been bringing in Muslim terrorists. We know these groups are here in America. Unfortunately, it's very concerning. And unlike Israel, where they were invaded and, and they're claiming that they were shocked here in America, we've already been invaded. It's not what's going to happen. These individuals are already in our borders because of failed policies and because of neglect and because, in my opinion, of intentionality from the Biden administration, which is carrying out the same agenda as the Obama administration. There's no difference. This is very concerning, Rick. We have to pray for protection. And sadly, sadly, I think it's time to say that we can't trust government to protect us. We have to protect ourselves. Uh, we have to protect our, our communities, our families. And just like you saw in Israel, unfortunately, right, where these people couldn't protect themselves because they were waiting for the, the army to come. And whatever reason for the army not being there, I've been on the southern border of Israel. I've been to Starot. I've seen, I've been to that IDF base down there. And I'm shocked that they were not ready. But the people waited for the government to protect them, and they never did. This is very concerning for America. It certainly is. Well, Sharam Hadian from Truth in Love Ministries. You can find out more about him and his ministry by going to TILministry.com. Thank you so much for being with us today, Sharam. Thank you so much. God bless you guys all. Great information as always, Sharam. Thank you so much. Well, Rick, a good friend to the program, a good friend to our family, a co-elder with my father in Jerusalem when they started the church, Minnow Kalashir. Well, that's right, Jimmy. We've got Menno Kalish here with us today. He's a longtime friend of both yours and mine. He's the pastor at the Jerusalem Assembly in Jerusalem. Menno, thank you for being with us. Dear Rick, shalom. Good to hear from you, and thank you. I truly mean it. Thank you for the opportunity to share with you. Thank you for your prayers. It's a great encouragement for us in this time. Menno, can you give us an update on the situation in Israel? How are you? How is your family? How is the church family during these dangerous times? Well, your question looks very short, but the answer is big. Well, an update on the situation in Israel. On Saturday morning, Hamas from Gaza exploded some electronic devices, cameras, security cameras, special security cameras 
on the fences, the, let's say the border between us and Gaza, and in the same moment entered, uh, exploded uh, the fence and also entered with big uh, bulldozers into the fence in order to open it and allow almost about, let's put it that way, at least 1,500 terrorists to run into with special cars, with ammunition that is enough for a war, into the nearby uh, settlements, kibbutzim, moshavim, settlements, which are just in front of Gaza, Jewish settlements. He entered into those places and massacred all the inhabitants. Massacred all the inhabitants. What we hear in the news is beheading babies, murdering people in their beds, uh, burning them inside their houses, and so on. That's what happened. Um, there were no info, uh, intelligence concerning something like that. So most of the soldiers were on vacation. Don't forget, it was the last day of Sukkot, Tabernacle, high holiday. And if you don't have any information, intelligence of a problem, you don't want to put a lot of power uh, on the border. So many of the places and the positions were unmanned because they truly believed and they trusted the electronic devices and the automatic rifles and uh, cameras to do their jobs, and it failed. So that was the situation on Saturday uh, morning. We walked up into news about missiles coming up everywhere in Jerusalem, and it was really shocking. It was truly shocking. Um, so the army, as much as possible, as soon as possible, shake up itself, and many soldiers were drawn to the place where the um, attack was. The Hamas terrorists could have all their time to control the roads, to ambush the junctions, and many, many policemen, many soldiers have been killed in, in those places until more, more forces came and could control the situation. It was devastating. Next to that, in the same time, on that Shabbat, a day before already, there was a big, big field party of Israeli young adults. In this party, hundreds, hundreds of young adults came to dance, to drink. I mean, don't forget that we're talking about non-believers, and they have their way to celebrate. These terrorists surrounded them and basically executed most of them, exploded the bodies. Really, it was one big mount of meat, so much that the people later on could not identify who belongs to who, and parents or friends or family members needed to come to give pieces of DNA in order to know which piece belongs to what family. Really devastating. In the first few hours, about 1,200 uh, people, young people uninvolved, were murdered. Few hundreds were taken into captivity. The few soldiers that were in the area, unready, were butchered, or some have been taken into captivity. So, I mean, that means uh, they were taken uh, to Aza as hostages, I'm sorry. They were taken as hostages. So that's what we had uh, there. Concerning family situation, 
Well, we have four kids. Two are in service as reservists, and two are free. I mean, they're not anymore in, uh, in reserve. Danny, a father of five, was called immediately. Danny is a paratrooper, a combat soldier, so they called him immediately. Ronit, my daughter, is a captain in the military police. She is a mother of two, but she is a volunteer. She continued to do reserve as a volunteer. She was called even before Danny. Uh, she is in the north, in front of Hezbollah. Danny is in the south, in front of Gaza. Right now, after clearing all the settlements from suspected terrorists that are left in the area, suspected underground tunnels, to make sure that there are no new terrorists coming in. Now they are ready, they are in a short maneuver right now, being prepared to enter to a ground assault in Gaza. That's a situation with Danny, not only Danny, but also my nephew and uh, other. I mean, we are a family of four, three brothers and a sister, and out of our family, 10 are actually right now in, in a military service. Please pray for them. We so much need it. Besides, TB, the pastor of the daughter church, is also a combat soldier. He is in Hebron, dealing right now with uprising of Israeli and Palestinians against Israel. Yes, our fifth column. Uh, so that's what we are dealing with. The imams in the mosques are encouraging every Muslim to take any knife, any tool he has, and go to murder Jews. This is literally what was sound from the mosques, towers, last Shabbat, Sunday. That's uh, also on Sunday. That's what they hear, and that's what they're going to hear also this Friday, encouraging them to go to murder Jews. This is what we're dealing here. And just to know, in America or in Europe, your democracy will be used for Islam in order to take it for themselves and to tell you that your place is not anymore yours. Don't be surprised when something like this will happen. It starts with Saturdays. It will end up with Sundays. Don't say we didn't say. Concerning other church issues, well, right now, every male and female in a military age, they're in the army. Not all are fighters. Uh, you know, army is involved of many, many kind of soldiers, but all are in service right now. So as a church, we are trying to see what are the needs of the families. And we tell them in our WhatsApp group in the church, those who need any food or anything, uh, expenses, paying bills, whatever they need, approach us immediately. And we do help and give them the highest priority. Some others just to come and to hug them, to speak with them. One of the families in our church, their daughter was in this young adult, young people party uh, in front of Gaza and she was murdered. So today it's her funeral. So yes, this is the situation. Many other churches, the situation with the other churches is the same. All males and females in military age are drafted and many people are basically calling their soldiers and tell them, what do you need? Is there something we can give to you? Because the army cannot just provide it uh, in a minimum time. You need to know that right now, 360,000 reservists were called. 
We are not in the size of America, okay? 360,000 reservists have been called in the last few days. So, of course, the logistics of the army takes its time until everyone will receive everything. And we receive requests from special operation units who need special things that some uh, shops or things like that have the same instruments, special watches, special flashlights, all kind of uh, military spec uh, materials that they need right now. So we are collecting money in order to help them to buy that, to purchase and to deliver these items to them. Menno, you were born in Israel, you served in the army, you raised a family, pastored a church in Israel. Have you ever seen anything like this? And how has this happened? Why has this happened? Yes, I was born in Israel. I served in the military. I have seen some of the powers of the Israel Defense Forces. And like everyone else, we are shocked and ask ourselves how such a surprise can happen to us in 2023. We are all shocked, and I'm sure that after the war, there will be an earthquake in the army, earthquake in the government to ask the right questions and to check who failed, what happened. This is, of course, from a human point of view. Me, as a pastor, as as a born-again believer in Jesus, when I see something like this, I can only tell you that what I think is that God allowed that to happen. God allowed this blindness of us to happen in order to humble us, in order to cause us to realize that the strongest army in the world and the best politician in the parliament, well, I wish we were, but just imagine, um, cannot really be trusted. The only one to trust is God himself. So I do believe that such a failure, such a failure, I'm sure we will win, but in a huge price. Such a failure, I believe, will open doors to many hearts to listen to spiritual issues, to listen to the word of God, to listen to the gospel. I absolutely believe so that we'll see more people interested and more souls win to the Lord because of that. Menno, what role is the church playing right now during these times? In such time, Yes, we take care of the people of the church and their needs, but you should see the WhatsApp groups, you should see the TV, you should see what happens right now. All those who are not, um, uh, were, were not called to the army, families, organizations, churches, everyone are right now busy with how can we help the reservists and the soldiers? Who needs anything? Uh, someone needs more uh, coats, uh, pants, uh, spare parts, whatever the people, the civil realm in Israel can purchase and bring to the soldiers, they do. They have junctions where food is being sent to. It's not that the army does not have food, but kind of to to hug the soldiers um, and to be there for them, to see if any soldier needs small thing, another pair of socks, another, I don't know what. You cannot believe um, how all the people are gathered together to do so. Menno, our hearts and prayers go out to you, all of your beloved family, the church. I want you to know that the church in America is praying for you. Is there anything we can do to help you at this time? Um, How can you help? Frankly, continue to pray for us. Really, continue to pray for us. I do believe in the power of prayer. Um, Reading Psalm 83 and... When you read this psalm, 
you see that, well, a sample of what is there exists today. I mean, you read the verses and you think, well, <laughs> I'm, I'm actually experiencing it. I'm not saying that that's the absolute fulfillment of this and that's a one-to-one, -one, but a sample of it, absolutely, yes. And what is the bottom line? The enemies simply want to destroy God's plan. God has a plan for Israel. He didn't finish with Israel. And if you check the grammar, the words of Psalm 83, some verses are very similar to the opening of Psalm chapter 2. The nations come together against God and against his anointed one. And here, the nation comes against God and against his people and so on. And later on, what's their problem? They want to inherit. They want to take what not belongs to them, but belongs to God. Similar to Ezekiel 35, verses 5 and 10, to the Edomites. They wanted to do the same. And what was the end of the Edomites? God told them, none of you is going to be spared. So you see the similarities. So I have no doubt that we will win, not because we are better, but because God is good and is faithful to his word. So please continue to pray for us that we will stay humble as a nation and really be more sensitive to God rather than to anything else. We need you. I understand that some people say, okay, we'll continue to pray. But as you see, you have expenses, you, you help people and so on. If it is on your heart, of course you can help. If, absolutely. That's what you do as a church. We help and we give, so we, we provide. So if you want, you can send it to Jerusalem Assembly House of Redemption. Uh, if you want Jerusalem Assembly House of Redemption, you can check our website, JerusalemAssembly.com. Or if you want, and it's easier, actually do it through Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry, FOI.org. Make sure to mark it as earmarked Jerusalem Assembly, and be sure it will go exactly to the place you desire. May God bless you. We don't take you for granted. We do not take you for granted. Please continue to pray for us. We cherish it. Menno Kalos here. Very powerful. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, the Legacy Series with Dr. Jimmy DeYoung, right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. I'm Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. Lebanon enters the picture in the Israel-Hamas conflict. Stay tuned for the prayer needs. And now is a great time to get involved with Set Free Ministries. We'll tell you why in just a few minutes. But first, world leaders eye rapidly rising tensions between Israel and its neighbors. In Syria, Israeli airstrikes put two major airports out of service a day before Iran's foreign minister was scheduled to visit. In Lebanon, Nuna with Triumph for Mercy Lebanon says, Hezbollah decided that this is a good time to launch rockets inside Israel. And now you have the Israeli army at the northern border and they're shelling the southern part of Lebanon. Hezbollah and Israel began exchanging tit-for-tat fire after Hamas launched its bloody assault this weekend. Hamas and Hezbollah are both terrorist groups backed by Iran. Hezbollah is waiting for occasions inside Israel so that they will um, also launch an attack from the other side to weaken Israel. As Israeli troops and tanks move to the northern border, Israel has given notice to people in the southern part of Lebanon to leave their homes because they don't want to shell on innocent people. Over the past 48 hours, all the schools closed. We see an exodus of people leaving the south to come towards Beirut. Experts say an escalation between Israel and Hezbollah could call global allies on both sides into action. So pray for peace and ask the Lord to give Nuna wisdom. Having God's wisdom 
into dealing with the situation, that I could use all the people and all the resources we have so that we can bless people in this time where they are fleeing or fearing. Meanwhile, it's been largely buried in global headlines. But Afghanistan had another major aftershock on Wednesday after a 6.3 magnitude earthquake on Saturday killed over 2,400 people in western Afghanistan. Ninety percent of the victims were women and children at home since the first earthquake struck while men were out working. Wednesday's aftershock was another 6.3 magnitude near Herat City. Nehemiah with FMI says. We have seen that beds were set up outside the main hospitals in Herat receive a flood of victims. Of course, we have seen that people are requesting and fleeing to have food, drinking water, medicines, clothes, tents. This is urgently needed for rescue and relief, and people are struggling and helping each other on their own. FMI has ministry partners with the underground church in Afghanistan. We're trying to reach our partners and trying to make sure that at least they have a roof available for them. And winters is approaching. That would be very difficult for the people who are sitting just on the streets and having a difficult time with their families. FMI's partners are identifying needs in quake-affected communities to respond with aid and spiritual support. Pray for the people of Afghanistan. This is one of the spiritual darkest places on the earth. And a new leader takes the helm at a spiritual freedom ministry based in the United States. Steve Andermullen is now serving as the director of Set Free USA. I was working with a large, well-known corporation called Gordon Food Service. That was my career for 37 years and uh, had a number of different roles. As I was closing out my career there, I uh, became more aware of Set Free. Shortly after I retired, I started volunteering. I had a chance to see the work of the Holy Spirit in a mighty way doing freedom appointments during this time. Based in West Michigan, Set Free started in 1995. Nearly 30 years later, it's encountering some growing pains. The demand for our services continues to increase. And so a big focus for me is to add more volunteers so that we can um, respond to the significant demand. If you'd like to help out, connect with Steve at missionnews.org. You might be a good fit for a brand new Set for USA initiative. As I was doing the work as a volunteer, I always had the question in the back of my mind, what's next? Uh, Where do men and women go after being set free? We have crafted a, a vision to increase our focus in this area. Thanks for listening to Mission Network News, a service of One Way Ministries. We're listener supported by people just like you. So by giving to Mission Network News, you enable us to keep the stories of God's kingdom coming. So join us here on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. You can also find us on Alexa, iTunes, or TWR360. Look for links at missionnews.org. I'm Ruth Kramer. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. And along with my brother Rick, we've been examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. The war is still on and it's something that we're covering, but we understand through Bible prophecy, we have a game plan. God has given us a game plan as to how it is all going to play out. We need to be reading and studying God's word. You can do that by going to our website, prophecytoday.com. Go to our bookstore. We're offering a special price. We just want to get all this material into the hands of people that want to study it. If you want to give it away to people, lots of people have questions now. Go to our website, prophecytoday.com, and you can take a look at some of the items there, and you'll be able to put in an order, and it will help our ministry out. 
And we also would like to thank you in advance for all your prayers during this time. We need your help. There's been a lot of demand. We are here just for such a time as this. Well, on our legacy series today, on today's broadcast, we will answer the question, is the United States in Bible prophecy? We will also look at the other nations who will be included in the end of time scenario that could be found in Bible prophecy. Nations like those of Europe, what about China, India, and all the nations of the Far East? The Lord will allow all of the nations of the world to gather at Jerusalem in the last days. We will find out more about the destiny of these nations of the world today on our study. Please take your Bible and go to the book of Revelation, chapter 16. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and the Legacy Series. All the nations of the world are going to gather at Jerusalem. Every nation is going to be there. Should America be around after the seven-year tribulation period, the inference is America will be there. There's no other even suggesting any place in Scripture where America would be. Now, that's Scripture. Here's my sanctified speculation. I don't believe America is going to be around at the end of a seven-year period of time. America on the slippery slopes of moral decay, educational decay, military decay, economic decay. America who kills babies and lets sodomites play in the street. I believe God has to deal with. And when you take the backbone of this nation out of America, the body of Christ, born again believers. When you take the backbone out, this nation on this power pedestal is going to fall. I don't believe America will even be in existence. The only reason God has blessed America is because we are the launch pad for world evangelization. Money, manpowers, materials come out of America to reach the world for Christ. Another additional addition is because we've stood with the Jewish people. We come along to protect the Jewish people. But when the rapture happens, that's not going to be the case. But indeed... When we see this happening in the end of the tribulation period, if America's still around, they're going to be a part of that particular event. We're looking at the key nations. Look back here in chapter 16 and verse 12. Here's another group of nations that will come at the end times. Notice what it says in verse 12. And these are nations that we know about today. So I'm trying to give you some idea of what will happen with these nations. Look at verse 12. And the sixth angel uh, poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up that they may wake way for kings of the east, that they may be prepared to come into Jerusalem as well. The kings of the east. By chapter 16 and verse 12, half of the earth's population will have been killed. The fourth seal judgment kills one fourth. The sixth trumpet judgment kills another fourth. That means half, another third, that means half of the earth's population has been destroyed. At a present population of approximately six and a half to seven billion people, what are we going to have at that point in time? We'll have a group of people that half of them will be wiped out. Three point, what, five or six billion people will be taken off the earth. And so in essence, where you have over in China and India, somewhere in the area, almost three billion people with the two populations together, that's going to be the group of nations who are going to come in against Israel in the last days. And so we're seeing these nations. I don't have the time, but you can go to Daniel chapter 7, verses 7 to 24, and find out 
The revived Roman Empire will be a major player in chapter 17 of the book of Revelation. The revived Roman Empire. And I believe we have that infrastructure in place for the revived Roman Empire, which would indeed be the European Union setting the place, putting a foundation in order to have this revived Roman Empire. But what I would like to show you is a group of nations that are most important for us to look at in light of where we are in God's prophetic timetable. Go to chapter 11 of the book of Daniel just a moment. Look at chapter 11 and verse 36. It talks about, gives us another name for the Antichrist, one of 27 names, verse 36. And the king shall do according to his will, and he shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god, and shall speak marvelous things against the god of gods. Now that's describing Antichrist. Antichrist will play a role in the beginning of the tribulation period. He's endeavoring to try to portray himself as the Messiah, so he's going to protect the Jewish people. Remember the Tribulation period, the seven years starts, the clock starts ticking when the Antichrist confirms a peace treaty. Daniel 9, 27. And he, the Antichrist, shall confirm a covenant, that's the treaty, with many, that would be the Jewish people and her neighbors, who are their enemies of Israel, for one week. That's the seven-year period of time. So the rapture takes place. The revived Roman Empire comes into existence. The little horn out of the revived Roman Empire, one name for Antichrist, comes to power. He confirms the peace treaty and the seven years starts. In chapter 11, we see the Antichrist because when we look at the rest of the verses in chapter 11 from 36 to 45, we see the pronouns, he, his, and him. That's replacing Antichrist. It means it's Talking about the Antichrist. Then we see that he attacks the king of the north and the king of the south. That's in verse 40. And at the time of the end, that's that seven-year period of time leading up to the return of Christ. At the time of the end shall the king of the south push at him and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind. Now, early on in chapter 11, I mentioned who they were. The king of the north is the king Antiochus the Great. You know where he was headquartered? Syria. The king of the south. And by the way, the scriptures here in chapter 11 says that the king of the north married the daughter of the king of the south. And the king of the south was located in Egypt. Now he set two nations in place, Syria and Egypt. They come against him. What do you mean they come against him? Well, Israel has a confirmation of a peace treaty signed by the Antichrist. And so when these nations start to attack Syria in the north, Egypt in the south, they start to attack Antichrist comes rushing back into the glorious holy land. Why? Because after he sets up this peace agreement, he goes to Rome, Italy. He puts up in place a false church headquartered in Rome, Italy. He's in charge of that church. So he's out of the land. Look at verse 41 of Daniel 11. And he shall enter also into the glorious land and many countries shall be overthrown. Now notice who he doesn't bother. He does not touch with his hand Edom, Moab, and the chief children of Ammon. You know who that is? That's modern-day Jordan. He doesn't touch Jordan. He goes to the north, wipes out Syria. He comes down through Jordan. Why didn't he touch Jordan? Petra is in Jordan, where God's going to protect the Jewish people for a a three-and-a-half-year period of time at the end of the tribulation. He doesn't touch Jordan. He goes to the south. And when he gets down there, verse 42, he shall stretch forth his hand also upon the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. But he shall have power over the treasures of gold and silver. Notice, and all the precious things of Egypt. Now notice the next nation. And the Libyans. Syria? Egypt? Libya? First three nations that make a move against Israel? 
These are the nations that make them. Go to chapter 38 of Ezekiel just for a second. Just for a second. Chapter 38 of Ezekiel. It lists some other nations that will come into this coalition. Verse 2. Son of man, set thy face against Gog in the land of Magog. We know that's Russia. And prophesy against Meshach and Tubal. Go to verse 6. Gomer and Tagarma. That's modern day Turkey. Tayyip Erdogan wants to be the pan-Islamic leader of the world. That's where Islam stopped its spread. That's where it'll begin again. And these nations going against Israel. Look here in verse 5. Persia. Until 1936, Persia was known by the name Persia. But then in 1936, they made it three states. Iran, Afghanistan, Pakistan. And then it says Ethiopia. That's Ethiopia, Somalia, Sudan, Libya. That's modern-day Libya. If I could take you to Psalm 83, you'd see Saudi Arabia and Lebanon also mentioned. These nations coming against Israel in the last days. When do they come? Look at verse 8 of chapter 38. After many days thou shalt be visited in the latter years. Thou shalt come into the land that is brought back from the sword and is gathered out of many people against the mountains of Israel, which have been always waste, but it is brought forth out of the nations. Jews out of the nations of the world gather in Jerusalem over the last 100 years out of 108 nations, Jews living in Israel. But look what it says. And they shall be dwelling safely, all of them. Verse 11. And thou shalt say, I will go up to the land of unwalled villages, to them that are at rest, dwelling safely. Unwalled villages. That's a military terminology. Ezekiel didn't know anything about F-16, marked for tanks. He didn't know anything about the Apache attack helicopter. He knew that the defense for the Jews then was a wall around the city. So he said, when they lay down their weapons, their defense, these nations attack. Do you notice the lowest common denominator among all these nations? They're Islamic. The Islamic world, Syria, Egypt, Ethiopia, Somalia, Sudan, Libya, Turkey, Iran, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Russia, Saudi Arabia. Lebanon, all ready to attack when they're dwelling safely in the land. Chapter 38, verse 18 through 39, 6 says, At that point in time, God rains hell, fire, and brimstone out of the heavenlies to wipe out the Islamic world. 9-11 was the beginning of the end. The Islamic terroristic genie released from Pandora's box. The major player up until the rapture of the church. Rapture happens. And in the first six months of the tribulation period, these Islamic nations gather to wipe out Israel. And God intercedes and destroys the Islamic world. Why? Because Antichrist would be putting together a false religious operation, a mother-son cult in Rome, Italy. Islam will not cooperate. It must be removed. You see, you're either a Muslim or you're a dead person. Your choice. Thus, it must be removed for God's prophetic scenario to take place. The only thing keeping this prophetic truth that I've just given you from unfolding is the rapture of the church. That's how close we are. How then ought 
we to live. Father, thank you for this awesome book that you've given us. an amazing book, articulate. It's accurate. It's authoritative. It speaks to the issues of today. It helps us to recognize the times in which we're living. And so, Father, I pray that you will help us to be students of the word of God. Recognize the times in which we're living. And in light of the truths that we glean, make certain we're prepared, living pure, and productive until he comes. Let us appropriate the truths, make them applicable for our everyday life as we move eagerly towards your return, which could be at any moment. We thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. What an awesome thought. We're living at the time of the end as described by the ancient Jewish prophet Daniel in Daniel chapter 11, verse 40. The nations of the Middle East are ready to attack the Jewish state of Israel right now. Again, I say there is only one thing that must happen before these prophecies are fulfilled, and that is the rapture, which could happen at any moment, even today. Are you ready? Are you saved? If not, admit you're a sinner like I did one day. Believe that Jesus Christ can save you and call upon him to save you right now. If you're already saved, keep looking up. Jesus is coming, and it could be today. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and the Legacy Series. Folks, do you know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior? Now is the time not only for you to decide, but to make sure you're telling others about the greatest gift for all of mankind, the only way that they can spend eternity in heaven with Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We've got to take a break, and when we come back, Dr. Rich Schmidt will be here with us taking a look at the book right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Chris Kramer with Mission Network News. World leaders eye rapidly rising tensions between Israel and its neighbors. In Syria, Israeli airstrikes put two major airports out of service a day before Iran's foreign minister was scheduled to visit. Israel also moved troops to its border with Lebanon amid escalating attacks from Hezbollah. Nuna, with Triumph for Mercy Lebanon, says a wave of displaced people is flooding into northern towns. Pray for wisdom as believers meet their needs in the name of Jesus. Meanwhile, a new leader takes the helm at a spiritual freedom ministry based in the U.S. After 37 years at Gordon Food Service, Steve Vandermolen is now the director of Set Free USA. As he transitioned into retirement, Steve began volunteering with Set Free. It didn't take long for the leaders to recognize their new volunteers' potential, and they asked him to join full-time. Steve's overseeing a brand-new initiative and volunteer recruitment. Learn how you can help people find freedom in Jesus at missionnews.org. Mission Network News is service of One Way Ministries. I'm Ruth Kramer. In today's world, a biblical worldview and a proper understanding of biblical prophecy should be a priority. At a time when many false doctrines are entering the church at a frightening pace, we must be able to rightly divide God's Word in order to live a pure and productive life for Him. If you would like an in-depth understanding of biblical prophecy, let me challenge you to consider Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. The School of Prophets is an online study for the layman or student pursuing a master's or doctorate degree. Dr. DeYoung's online study program will allow you to develop a timeline of biblical 
biblical prophecies of the past as well as future prophecies yet to be fulfilled. Your personal study of God's Word will only be enhanced by Dr. DeYoung's School of Prophets, and your life will be changed as you better understand, like Daniel, where you fit into God's calendar of events. If you're interested in developing a deeper understanding of God's prophetic Word, let me personally invite you to become involved in Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. Call today at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Or visit us at schoolofprophets.org. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung, Jr. Along with Rick, we have been examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. And over the last hour, hour and 15 minutes, we have talked to our broadcast partners about a week that none of us, frankly, saw coming. So we've gone through all the analysis. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung, my father, spoke, where is the United States in Bible prophecy, and really laid out what is going to take place in the future. So, uh, Rick, after thinking about all of this, I thought I needed to get my good friend. I call him America's pastor. He's my pastor. I talk to him about things that I need to talk about, spiritual items, Bible prophecy. He's a prophecy teacher. He's a pastor. He's a former sheriff of Milwaukee County in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. My good friend, Dr. Richard Schmidt. Rich, welcome to the program today. Well, thanks so much for having me. Yes. Uh, let me just get your thoughts. I know that uh, I have been in conferences. I have been around speaking. People are calling me. How could this happen? Uh, how could God allow this to happen? Was God asleep? Uh, what are your thoughts on what you've been seeing? Well, first of all, God is never asleep, and he always knows what's taking place in a sovereign plan. And I, it, it's just heartbreaking as to what's taken place. We're very aware of the outcomes. We're very aware of the massive amount of people that were murdered, slaughtered in Israel. And, of course, any time, no matter where it is around the world, our hearts break when we see this type of terrorism, this type of horrific action. So, of course, uh, as God's people, we're sympathetic, and uh, Jesus Christ died for all people, and every time we see someone's life cut short, it pains us, because as God's children, as Christians, we love people, we care about them, we want them to have wonderful lives centered around Christ, but then tragedy like this comes in, and it's absolutely heartbreaking, and now those that are less specifically the families and the loved ones in the countries that are going through this, now they have to determine how are we going to recover from this horrific event. Yes. And you, as a prophecy teacher, you understand that this is barely just the beginning of the time of Jacob's trouble. Well, Jeremiah 30, verse 7 talks about uh, Jeremiah's or Jacob's trouble. And it, it's so hard for us, especially as Christians. We love the Jewish people. We love Israel. And the unfortunate truth is, if you understand Bible prophecy, this is just the tip of the iceberg, unfortunately, as to what the Jewish people are in for. The unfortunate truth is that uh, until there is a literally, which won't happen until the last part of the tribulation period, when there's a national revival in Israel, God's made it very clear, and your dad had brought this out many times, uh, Zechariah chapter 13, verses 8 and 9, 
the horrible truth is is that two-thirds of all Jewish people will die during the tribulation period. Mm. That means there's approximately 15 million Jewish people right now. That means 10 million people, worse than the Holocaust that happened uh, around the Second World War, if you will, are going to perish. This is very, very hard for us, uh, uh, especially as Christians, to accept and to comprehend. Yet, unfortunately, God's made it clear that uh, despite God's love for these people, there still is going to be horrible tragedies to come. You're exactly right, Dr. Schmidt. When you look at the reason for these tragedies, it's Daniel chapter 9. To end iniquity, to finish the transgression of sins, the time of Jacob's trouble is to bring the Jewish people to an understanding that God sent the Messiah, his son, Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world. Yes. Um, yeah. When you think about that and you and I always tell people, so let's keep it in perspective. Uh, you know, uh, yes, we have seen evil on on the television. But this is not the first time that evil has been on the TV that we have seen. Now, in, in, these, in our lifetime now, we're watching not only Israel, but Syria has lost close to th- almost 400,000 people. All those that were lost in Iraq and Africa, Christians are being beheaded for being believers in Jesus Christ by the Islamic world. We see evil everywhere. I've seen evil in Uvalde, Texas. Dr. Schmidt, tell us. Evil is not just uh, exclusive for the Jewish people. No, it's absolutely not. I mean, the Bible makes it very clear, and most people are familiar with these verses, Romans 3.10 through 3.23, that there's none righteous. There's all of us have sinned. It's unfortunate, but the massive majority of people in this world have not turned to faith in Christ. Uh, research societies have come up with approximately 5% of the entire world's population believes in Christ, meaning 95% mm. of people uh, have, don't have the Holy Spirit living with them. They're living with the old sinful nature. So it, it's no surprise that there's constant trouble in the world. There's constant tribulation. There's constant violence. There's constant hatred. We've seen it in the United States. We've seen it in the riots here. We've seen it in other countries that man heart is deceitful and desperately weak, wicked. So the the fact of the matter is, and, and of course, as, as our pastor's heart, you look at 1 Peter 5, 7, and the Lord says, listen, when you're going through these things, to cast all your care, all your anxiety upon him, upon Christ, because he cares for you. Yes, there's going to be tribulation and suffering in this world, not just in Israel, but here in America, other countries are going to go through horrific, terrible times until Jesus comes. And the answer is, in the world today, for evilness, is to get the gospel message, the message that God sent his only son to die for mankind and the sins of mankind. And only by believing in his death, burial, and resurrection, that's the only way that we can have eternal life, that hope that is within us. Dr. Schmidt, thank you for being with us today. And, uh, Man, we're getting ready to watch Bible prophecy unfold before us. But before that, the rapture has to happen, correct? Absolutely. We're looking for that blessed appearance of Jesus, which could happen at any moment. Paul gives us good information at these times in which we're living, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly 
in this present world, looking for that blessed hope in the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Until the rapture does happen, let's keep looking up. Until. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Prophecy Today is a listener-supported production of Shofar Communications in Chattanooga, Tennessee.